So, um, we were blessed to go to the lake for a little while, uh, a few weeks ago, and we didn't tell anybody we're going on vacation, that way nobody pranks me like they do Pastor Kent, so <laughs> don't expect me to tell you. <laughs> I, I don't need that, but thank you. These guys, I tell you. <laughs> this morning I was joking with them, I, I could use a chair and to sit on and somebody to fan me and grapes and things like that, so that's what that's all about. <laughs> so they don't prank me on vacation, but up here. <laughs> so anyway, uh, we were blessed to go to the lake, and uh, I think I have as much water in my head as we had in the lake uh, playing with the kids, and so I, I feel like I'm still under the water, so if I sound like I'm in a fishbowl, that's why. Does it kind of sound like I'm talking in a fishbowl a little bit? Yeah. So that's why I'm perfectly healthy. I just cannot hear anything because my head is full of water from the lake. So just wanted to let you know that, so bear with me and um, the voice that I'm working with here this morning. So I want to start off this morning, um, I want to read like this kind of a, it's kind of like a love letter written from a, a guy to his girlfriend. You, you're familiar with those guys, you've written some of those letters probably. Yes, one person has. Thank you. So, you, you can listen to this and you can, you know, come to your own conclusions about the, the validity of it. So, here's what the guy writes to his, his girlfriend. He says, Sweetheart, if this world was as hot as the Sahara Desert, I would crawl on my knees through the burning sand to come to you. If the world would be like the Atlantic Ocean. I would swim through shark-infested waters to come to you. I would fight the fiercest dragon to be by your side. I will see you on Thursday if it does not rain. <laughs> I've written a few love letters and I'm not sure he knows what he's talking about, right? His love is so deep that he crawls through the burning sand and swims across shark-infested waters, and he'll fight the fiercest dragon, but, you know, man, if it rains, whew, that's too much, right? i got to draw the line somewhere, and I, I don't know. I, I, that got me thinking, reading that, of course, it made me laugh, uh, but it got me thinking, you know, one of the greatest characters of the God we worship is his unconditional love for us love that he has for us. You, you've heard it said before, I got his love. And it's, it's so true, and I think sometimes that's his love, but he's many other things. He's holy, he's righteous, he's, he's just. He's of God of wrath, he's a jealous God. There, there's so many things that we could talk about the character of God. For, for the next year, we could talk about his character. But he is full of love, right? His love for us is unimaginable. So that's what we're going to focus on here this morning, his love. Because if we truly believe that God has unconditional love for us, then it should affect the way that we, that, the way that we love each other. Amen? And so as you know, we, we've been going through the Gospel of John, and this morning we are going to be in chapter 13, 
And when we get into chapter 13, this is in the section of the Bible, this is really in the gospel message of John. This is where we start to see the beginning of the passion story, the passion account where, where Jesus is getting ready to uh, take his journey to his death on the cross and more importantly, his resurrection from the grave. And so really this is a message of his love for us. The chapter begins with Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, and I know Pastor Kent talked about this last week, but in, in chapter 12, um, we read that Mary anointed the feet of Jesus with the very, very expensive perfume. And now in chapter 13, we see that Jesus takes it upon himself to wash the feet of his disciples. And I don't, I don't want us to just kind of gloss over this because we, we hear this account all the time. We talk about it, washing, washing the feet, and, and it's a, some, sometimes churches do that and actually wash feet. I, I don't want us just to gloss over what this is because washing those, those sweaty, smelly, dirty, nasty, rotten feet back then, that was a job that was given to the slaves, right? If you had a guest in your house, you sent the slave over there to wash the feet of your guests. And so here we have Jesus, right, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of all things in the universe. He, he came down from his throne in heaven, and what he does here is he, he took the position of a slave to demonstrate what unconditional love is, to demonstrate to us what unconditional love is looks like right and he he even washed the feet of jesus jesus washed the feet of judas excuse me right the guy who would betray him knowing that he was going to be betrayed by him he still washed the feet of judas and now speaking for myself i, I don't want to speak for you guys but i know that i would have a huge problem washing the feet of some guy that i knew was very shortly going to stab me in the back and betray me. Am I alone on that, or would that be a little difficult for you guys as well? But Jesus does it anyway, knowing that he was going to be betrayed by him. We know that Jesus called out Judas, and he told him, he said, look, you're, you're the guy. You're the one who's going to betray me. And it says that Satan entered into Judas and Jesus told Judas, he says, go and quickly do what you're going to do. And so Judas leaves where they were having supper together. And here's what Jesus said to the rest of his disciples. We are in John chapter 13. I want to look at and read verses 31 through 35. So you can follow along on the screen up there, or you can turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13, starting in verse 31. When he had gone out, that's Judas, of course, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, Where I am going, you cannot come. In verse 34, this is our, our focus for this morning here. A new commandment I give to you, 
that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Amen. And so what I want to do this morning is I just want to give us three three statements for us to consider here this morning. The first one's the first one's obvious. What do you think the thrust of those verses that we just read are? Right? It's repeated over and over as we're reading through that. What is what are we to do? Love one another, right? So that's the first statement. We are commanded to love one another. This simple, right? Seems that way. But first of all, I I told first service, I wish I didn't have to do this, but I feel it necessary uh, to, first of all, I want to I be very clear on something because um, this verse, verse, John chapter 13, verse 34, um, where Jesus says that all people will know we are his disciples because of the love that we have for each other, right? Some, what I would call wicked people, take this verse and they declare that Jesus is talking about some sort of sexual love for one another, when we read these verses, claiming that, that Jesus and his disciples were homosexuals and this was some kind of sexual love that they were talking about, and this is to prove a, a different agenda that is not written in the Bible. And so to say that couldn't be further from the truth, and, and I'm, I'm just pointing this out so that we can all have an understanding of that. What Jesus is talking about is what we call agape love, right? It's un conditional love, unconditional, non-sexual love for people. Are, are we clear on that? Because I don't, I don't want to start delving down that, that black hole, but I just want to point it out that if you ever hear somebody use these verses in that context, it's not truth. It, it couldn't be further from the truth. And so, like I said, I wish I didn't have to do that, but I feel it necessary to point that out. So, as followers of Christ... We are commanded to love one another. And this, this one is, is difficult sometimes, right? Because I think every single one of us listening this morning has a different interpretation of what godly biblical love looks like, right? We all have a different interpretation of how we live out godly biblical love. And, and I've had a lot of conversations in my life with, with different people, but Lots of times you hear people say, well, well, if you're not doing this, such and such, for other people, and you can fill in the blank with whatever you want, right? Well, if you're not doing that, then you're not being loving towards them, right? Or, well, if you don't believe such and such, if you don't believe the same thing that I believe or in the same way that, that I believe, then, well, you're not being loving towards that person if you don't agree with them. Or if you say something like this, again, fill in the blank, you're not being loving. And I could go on and on with these examples. I think you get the point. The point is, everyone has a different view, right, of what love should look like and what it should be. And I think loving others can be very, very difficult because we cannot fully grasp the magnitude of God's love. I don't think it's just me, but the love of God is so immense and so powerful that it's beyond our human reasoning ability to fully understand his love for us, 
right? And, and especially as we live in this fallen and broken world, many of us here today, we, we may not ever have experienced true biblical godly love. We may not have had a, a loving father and a loving mother in our home to, to show us this, to model this for us. And, and on the other side of that, many of us have had those loving experiences and, and the loving family members to surround us. We, we've all had, the point is we, we've, we all have our own viewpoint, our own understanding, our own experience of what love is. And what we've experienced affects how you love your neighbors, the people in our community, the people that live right beside you. Your experiences with love affect how you love them. It affects how you love your family members, right? It affects how you love your kids. It affects how you love your wife or your husband, and so on and so on. And so as I was thinking over all of this this past week, again, in our, our, our fallen human nature, I've come to the conclusion that since... We're not God, right? Amen. We are not God. Uh, we are the image of God, but we are not God. We cannot fully love the way that he loves. And so really there's only one way that, through which we can truly love one another, and that's through Jesus living in us and working through us. Amen. It's the power of the Holy Spirit within us that we are able to do this. And so really if your identity about yourself, your identity is not in Christ, then you're, you're really going to struggle with how to love people correctly. Because let's face it, there, there are always going to be people in your life that are hard to love. Whether it's a family member. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many have family members that are hard to love sometimes? We won't name names here. Maybe it's a co-worker that you, you have to see every day, and maybe you don't want to see them every day, right? Maybe it's the grumpy people at Walmart that I seem to run into all the time. Is that just me? Or, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's the people on the road that don't know how to drive. I struggle with that one. I'm, I'm going to do a lot of confessing this morning, so just be ready. This is my confession <laughs> to you all this morning, but I struggle with that one a lot, right? And lastly, one, one area to think of, you know, maybe even there's, there's people in church that are hard to love. It doesn't matter where, there's always going to be people around us who are hard to love. But because of Jesus living in us, we can love them. Amen? Oh man, you guys are getting as bad as first service. <laughs> we can love them through Jesus. Amen? Amen. Thank you. That's better. 
I want us to really consider this this morning because Jesus living in us and working through us produces those ex- external acts of love. And, and it's the, those kind and gentle words that we say to someone when really we don't want to, right? When really deep inside we want to lash out at them and we want to go on the, the offensive, right? That's because of Jesus. And I'm saying this morning that we, we're, we're never going to be perfect on how we love others. But because the love that Jesus lavishes on us, it allows us to love others in a way that we just couldn't do if Jesus was not living in us. And so for me personally, again, I'm speaking for myself, but without Jesus in my life, I, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't do nice things for other people, right? My human nature is let people fend for themselves, right? God has been changing me over the last 20, 30 years, but like by nature, I don't, I don't want to do nice things for people all the time. Again, am I just confessing or can anybody relate to that as well? Just me? Okay, it's just me confessing this morning. <laughs> Right? But I don't know that I would be kind-hearted and, and use gentle words with people when I really don't want to. Like, my nature is just to, to let it come out, right? And, and so I don't know that I would give time to others. I just don't know if I would love people like, like I actually do. I mean, I feel like I do love people now in a way I hadn't before, but that's because of Jesus working in me, right? He, he changes us. But the point I'm making is only through Jesus Christ that we can have that, that true desire to love like Him. To love others in the same manner that He loves us. It's only through Him that I can produce these acts of love. And really they're acts of, of sacrificial love that Jesus calls me to do. Right? He calls all of us to do this. And we are, we are commanded to love one another. That's the first statement to consider. The second statement is this, that love is sacrificial. Love is sacrificial, right? When Jesus was giving this command to his disciples to love one another, he knew that his death on the cross for the forgiveness of sin and for the salvation of the world, he knew that it was close at hand as he's giving this command. So I want to jump quickly to 1 John chapter 3. I want to look at verses 18 I'm sorry, 16 through 18. It's up on the screen here for us as well. Uh, but this is what is written here in 1 John. Chapter 3, 16 through 18. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possession, possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. And so really one of the tests of of true love, of loving one another, is the willingness to sacrifice your life for your brother. And that can look like many different things in many different ways. But the perfect example is what we just read here where Jesus Christ laid down his life for you and I 
for the whole world, for all who would believe in him, so that they might be saved. Right? The meaning of, of love is found in his example. This, this is the agape love that I was talking about. It's the love that is set apart from the other kind of loves because it's costly, right? It's unconditional, and it's sacrificial. It's giving all of ourselves for the sake of someone else. This is the kind of love Jesus has for us. He laid down his life for us, and that's why John writes, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. One commentator, Boltman, states that when we have experienced love, states that only when we have experienced love can we know love. From his love for us, we learn what love is. Love, then, is the denial of self for another's gain. It's doing what Jesus himself would do. So that's, that's the definition of this, this sacrificial love. It's denial of self for another person's gain. I want to read for you what Daniel Overdorf writes about his older sister and, and uh, her husband who was missionaries in Hades. I just want to read what he says. I thought this was really fitting. A good example for us to consider as we're thinking about this sacrificial love. But he writes here that his sister and her husband served for 12 years as missionaries in Haiti. He says, among various other ministries, such as church plants and, and a school and a feeding program, they discipled a few young men who today lead various churches and ministries. One participant in this area was a, a shy young man named Miltador. Miltador showed a heart to obey even the most radical instructions of the Bible. Like most Haitians, he lived in severe poverty. He did have one possession that many Haitians did not. It says that he owned a cow, a feat that may not sound all that impressive to us, but one that would give Miltador's family an opportunity for ongoing nourishment from the cow's milk, and then ongoing income from breeding the cow and selling the calves. Miltador came into possession of the cow after several years of work. I want you to listen to this, how he got this cow. It took several years. It says a local farmer hired Miltador, then when he was just a boy, to take care of the calf. Each morning and evening, Miltador retrieved the calf from the neighboring farm, found a place for it to graze, then, turned it to it, then returned it to its home. Miltador cared for the calf with no pay until it had grown and could be bred. When the farmer finally bred the cow, the farmer gave Miltador a calf as his only payment for the years of work. Now, I don't, I've never raised a cow or anything like that, but I imagine it takes a while to, to raise one then breed it, and have that, right? It takes a long time. He did this for free. His only payment was the calf. Right? As the, he goes on to say, As this discipleship group, including Miltador, studied through the New Testament, they came upon 1 John three sixteen through 18 which we just read. 
Paul, the man who led the study, struggled with whether to teach the passage. He says American Christians needed to hear the message. We typically think of Haitians as the ones who need help. But he says because the passage was in the Bible, and because even the poor need to recognize the need to help others, he taught the passage. The next week, when Miltador arrived at discipleship group meeting, Paul casually asked about his cow. He said, is, is your cow healthy? How's it doing? Miltador hung his head, and he says, I don't have the cow anymore. And Paul asked him, well, that, what happened? That's a tragedy for you guys. What, what happened to the cow? He says, my brother was sick. He's been sick for a while. He needed to see a doctor. He had no money to pay the doctor. Last week, you told us that if we have material possessions and see our brother in need, but don't help, how could the love of God be in us? He says, so I sold the cow and gave the money to my brother so that he could see the doctor. I mean, what an example for us as individual Christians on how we are supposed to care for the needs, the physical needs of our brothers and sisters. Right? Do you understand the magnitude of what he did for his brother? I mean, that was life-sustaining animal that he sold so his brother could see the doctor. And I'm, I'm the type of guy that likes to ask questions. It's how my mind works, but I, do, I, I ask myself the question, how often does the American church miss, miss the depths of community and love in which God calls us to? And again, I, I, I don't want any condemnation here. That's not, what I'm, that's not what I'm about. I don't want us to feel condemnation. I, I do want to remind us of, of James chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, and, and what it says. I'm just going to paraphrase, and you can help me finish this, but right, James tells us that, that faith without deeds is what? Dead, right? Faith that doesn't produce works of faith are dead. So in other words, words without action are dead, right? It's, it's not love, it's lip service. J James didn't write that part. I'm, I'm adding that part in, but right? And I want us to think about this, and again, not condemning, it's just how my brain works. I, I ask myself a lot of questions, I'm passing my questions on to us for consideration here this morning. But if we really think about this, you know, we, as Christians, we, we say we're really distraught over seeing children starving in Africa and other parts of the world. We're distraught over that, and we talk about how bad it is, but, but then we don't sponsor a child, right, a, a simple Simple thing for us to do here in America. Or, or we say we're heartbroken over, I think the number's up to 146 million orphans, children without a home. We, we, we're, we're concerned about that. We're heartbroken, but we're not, we're not adopting any children. We're, we're not bringing them into our homes. Or, or we say that it hurts us to see homeless people who are cold and hungry, but we don't give them a place to stay and we don't give them a blanket to keep warm or we don't give them food for nourishment. 
or, or we see people being mistreated in stores or in restaurants or out on the streets or out in the parks and we don't come to their defense. Or, or even we, we tell our brothers and sisters in Christ that we feel bad for them and their financial crisis that they find themselves in, but we don't give them a dime of our money to help them get through that financial crisis. My, my question is, and to myself and to all of us, are, are we falling short? Are we falling short on the sacrificial love that God calls us to? Are we truly demonstrating love for one another by generously giving of our time, money, and possessions? And again, there's no, there's no condemnation in this. It's just questions. I'm not saying we're doing a bad job. I'm not saying we're doing a good job. It's just questions for us to consider. I, I, I think it's good to ask questions of ourselves. I do it almost every day, I think. If you could see what's inside my head every day, you'd go crazy. So you know why I'm a little off, right? My, my friend over here tells me all the time I'm off. He reminds me, so thank you for keeping me straight. <laughs> but right, I, I just want to say, are we missing something? Right? I think it's good to ask God, what am I doing? Am I doing something right? Am I doing something wrong? Is there more that I could be doing? Seek God's advice. Seek His, his wisdom and run with it, whatever he tells you to do. If you're doing fine, great. If you need to do more, jump on board with God and do it. The point is, we need to love one another sacrificially. Amen? Amen. Well, the last statement here for us this morning is this one. Our love for one another needs to be seen by the world. Right? Right? Our love for one another needs to be seen by the world. If we, if we look in Scripture, the great commandment that Jesus gave, he basically sums up the Ten Commandments, right? They, they ask him, what, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, right, and all your mind. Love God with everything that you are. And he says, the second thing is to love your neighbor as yourself, right? He's summing up the Ten Commandments. The first few commandments are your relationship with God, the last ones are your relationship with others, right? And here again, this is, this is my confession time again, but I know for me personally that sometimes I can come across as unloving to, to other believers, and I can come across as unloving to non-believers, to those who are not yet Christian, but I, I come across as unloving while speaking biblical truth, right? And, and in general, I just think that's the nature of the truth of God. It's offensive to those who don't want to hear it. And so there's just there's that aspect behind truth anyway, that people are just naturally offended by, by God's truth. But somet sometimes I'm just, like I said, I'm just freely admitting this, sometimes my delivery of truth needs improvement, right? Whether it's here or whether it's out in the community. And... and I don't know, can anybody relate to, am I, again, is this just me? This is my personal confession time. Are you guys that way sometimes? But I'm working on it because 
the world is filled with lost and hurting people. Right? We, don't, we don't have to go very far outside these doors to come in contact with, with someone who is hurting, someone who is looking for answers, someone who is trying to fill this, this void that's missing, this lack of love in their life. But they're trying to fill it with all the wrong things and in all the wrong ways. Right? The, the void that's missing in their life is, is Jesus. But they try to fill that hole with all the wrong things. And, and so the way that we treat other followers of Christ, each other, affects how non-Christians view God and His church. Right? So if, if the world sees us kind of bickering and going back and forth and maybe arguing a little bit with each other, and they look at that and that affects the way they see God and His church. But if we're loving on each other and showing this unconditional love for one another in, in a way that they can't even comprehend or understand, that has a profound impact on their life because, again, it changes their view of God and His church. It's crucial that we love one another just as Jesus Christ loves us. Let me just finish with this here this morning. This is from Vernon McGee, um, one of the commentaries I was reading this past week. He says that Tertullian, who was a, a historian, wrote that the Roman government was disturbed about the early church. Christians were increasing in number by leaps and bounds. And because they would not take even a pinch of incense and put it before the image of the emperor, the Romans felt that the Christians might be disloyal to the Roman government. So they sent spies into the Christian gatherings, and the spies came back with a report that, that goes something like this. They said that these Christians are very strange people. They meet together in an empty room to worship. They don't have an image. They speak of one by the name of Jesus who is absent, but whom they seem to be expecting at any time. And the best part about their um, spying activities is this report. They said, in my, how they love him and how they love one another. This was the early church. Government spies were sent in there to bring back bad word about the Christians. And their report was all positive. Right? They love Jesus Christ and they love one another in a way that you were not expecting. That got me thinking. If spies from our worldly government came here to PMC, I want them to go back and report that we love Jesus and we love one another. Amen? Right? And, and by the way, I think, we're doing, I think we're doing a phenomenal job on this at, at PMC. I, I think we do everything we possibly can to love one another the way Jesus loves us. But on the way to church this morning, the, the, the verses just kept going through my head that in the end times, as Jesus' second coming draws closer and closer, that in those days, it says that the love of many 
will grow cold towards others. Right? I feel like we're, we're kind of getting close to Jesus coming again in appearance. And the love of many is growing cold. And again, I think we're doing a good job here. And my prayer is that we keep loving one another just as Jesus loves us so that the world around us will know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Can you get on board with me with all that? I, I know my ears are plugged. Maybe I just didn't hear you. Can you get on board with me on that? Amen. Thank you. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for the love, this unconditional love that you have for us. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you especially for the sacrifice you made on the cross. You didn't have to go to that cross. I mean, you're, you're, you are God. You are God, and you, you had the power not to do that. But Lord, you willingly did that for me, for us, for all who would believe, for the forgiveness of sin. Lord, you rose victoriously from the grave so that we might have eternal life because we are in you. And so, Lord, we, we worship you today. We bow down before you today because of this unfathomable love that you have for us. Lord, we want to take that love that you have for us and, and, and spread it to, to each and every one of us here this morning. Show us how to love one another in ways that we never thought could be possible. Show us how to go out into our community and demonstrate that love to the lost and the hurting who need to know who you are. Lord Jesus, as we leave this place, I just pray that um, you would protect us from Satan, our enemy, who is, he's out there lying to people. He's out there deceiving people. He wants to draw as many people down into the pits of hell as he can. And you called us to love one another. You called us to go and make disciples. You called us to do these things. So protect us from our enemy. But Lord Jesus, put people in front of us each and every day that we would have the eyes to see them, that we'd have the ears to hear their needs. And most importantly, Lord, give us the words to draw them to your feet, to draw them to your kingdom, to bring them to salvation through the power of your name. Guide and direct us. We ask it in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.